1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
2: That's the way I look at the Bible. He's the owner, he's the manufacturer, he's the creator. And when my world gets crazy and people say crazy things and do crazy things, and your head is spinning and you're just wondering what is happening to our world and who who even knows what is right and what is wrong, what is up and what is down, what is sweet and what is is sour. The best thing to do is to consult the owner's manual. And so for us as Christians, this is where we go to. And we process our world through the lens of Scripture.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy. As the world around us continues on its path of self-glorification, morality and objective truths are constantly under attack. With the ever-changing standards of a God rejecting society, it can be difficult to keep up as believers and followers of Christ. In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on the ultimate standard of truth, God's written Word. In his study, you'll learn about the importance of regularly studying the Bible and addressing the issues of the world through the lens of Scripture. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: All right, now for our Bible study. If you have your Bibles open there, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. We left off uh, in chapter three at verse 10. As I said a moment ago, we're going to see about uh, concluding the, the letter here, at Second Timothy, just to kind of get a running start before we start reading at verse 10 of chapter three. Uh, in the first part of chapter three, if you were here with us last week, uh, Paul identifies 19 characteristics of the last days. What will the culture look like as we get closer to the second coming of Christ? I'm not going to go through the list again, but the summary statement from last week about all of those 19 characteristics is this, that the cultural climate in the last days will be a self-absorbed generation that loves self, money, and pleasure rather than God, appearing spiritual and being religious but denying the true power of God. So as we get closer to the return of Christ, that's what our world is going to look like. Paul's writing here in around 67 A.D., and yet it's very prophetic, and we see some of these things being fulfilled even in our own day, particularly because what he also goes on to say in the rest of chapter 3 is that there will be an assault on truth. That there, will, there will come a time when, he's going to say in chapter 4, people won't want to uh, listen to sound doctrine, they won't want to hear the truth, they will turn their ears away from the truth, and actually begin to embrace lies or myths. And just again to summarize that point, he tells us in chapter 3 verse 7 that some will learn the truth but never acknowledge it. So they're open to it but they just they don't really want to apply it to their lives. And then also in chapter 3 verse 8 he says, and, and still others will oppose the truth altogether. They're just going to be antagonistic towards the truth. They, they, don't, they don't want to hear the truth. They don't like the truth. And, and then still others, we'll see here in chapter 4, verse 4, turn away from the truth. And what's worse is they actually start to embrace lies. Uh, take a quick glance again at chapter 4, verse 4, where he says that, that they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Some of your translations actually use the word lies. So there, there won't only be a disregard for truth, there will be an embracing of lies. And clearly, we're living in a day where there is, there is a dearth of truth in our culture. I think Isaiah uh, was very prophetic about our day in Isaiah fifty nine fourteen when he said, Truth has stumbled in the streets, honesty cannot enter, truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. You start to shun evil, you start to stand for truth and shun evil, you will become a prey, people will prey on you, and, and they, will, they will accuse you, they will malign you, they will be angry with you because you actually stand for something. So I, what Isaiah said in 700 BC and Isaiah 59, 14 and 15, it's happening in our day. I mean, I've never lived in a time where there's a greater assault on the truth and on those who actually stand for the truth and actually believe the truth. I mean, truth used to be a more common thing than it is today. People, there was some general agreement. Even if people weren't Christians, there was just a general sensibility of things in our culture 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, where people more commonly agreed on things that would be typically defined as right and wrong. But now today it's so blurry, it's so messy that people can't uh, make out what is truth from what is a lie, and people actually are not simply antagonistic towards the truth. They actually are embracing lies. That, that's his third point here in chapter 4, verse 4. And, and so, you, you know, l- let me illustrate it this way. Uh, take, for example, and this is somewhat of a hot topic in our culture today, but take, for example, the whole gender identity confusion right now. Because, you know, just a ge- clearly a generation ago, and, and and really sooner than that, it used to be that we could love people who, who may have struggled with that. Not as many talked about it, you know, a decade ago as they do now, because it's been celebrated and embraced. But for those who may have struggled with it in the past, uh, they, they were loved on, and, and and they got help. But now today, in order to Uh, you know pacify a culture that basically says however you want to self-identify we've now abandoned truth and we've discarded love in the process and it really is a shame because we're not helping people to embrace their god-given gender instead now we're just We're saying, well, it can just be whatever you want it to be. And we've actually contributed, not we ourselves, but culture in general, have actually contributed to the confusion because we're no longer standing for truth in a loving way that can actually help people with issues anymore. Because it's now so so blurred. We've even abandoned science on this issue to perpetrate this lie on our culture uh, because biological sex is not assigned. It is determined at conception... Uh, by our DNA, and it's stamped into every cell of our bodies. Sexual identity is binary. You, you either have XX chromosome because you are a woman, a female, or you have XY chromosome because you are male, and all the, re- the hormone replacement therapy and all the surgeries in the world will never change that. But, but now we are reluctant to say that to people for whatever reason, and, and so truth has become discarded now, and, and love has been abandoned in the process too, because we're not even loving enough to tell people anymore, hey, we can help you with that. So we, we've just kind of thrown them uh, to the confusion. Uh, Dr. Michelle Critella, by the way, you can Google her, and she's got some um, pretty important things to say. On this topic, Dr. Michelle Critella, a medical doctor. She's the president of the American College of Pediatrics. She actually has been saying recently that allowing children to believe in such things as transgender is a form of, quote, child abuse because it, quote, interrupts a child's normal psychological development. So, end quote. So, I, again, I say this with compassion. There, there are people uh, that, that you may know and love who, who have some gender identity issues right now, and, and the problem is we become more helpless to help them when a culture is giving them a different message. And the different message, and this is just one topic, as an example of many topics, that the general message the culture is giving is there's, there's no real absolute truth, it's very relative, it's what you want it to be, it's how you want to identify yourself, and, and so we, we've contributed, the culture's contributed to the confusion. And we're seeing point number three fulfilled in our own day. That we're not, we're not only turning away from the truth, we're embracing lies, and we are celebrating lies. And it has never been a more confusing time in our culture than now. So then, though, that brings up the questions as Christians, it's okay if we can at least agree. And some of you may not agree with what I've said, but it's okay. But if we can at least agree that there is a rise of confusion in our culture about what is true and, and what are lies, as Christians then, the questions become, how do we anchor our souls in truth when society is ignoring it or redefining it? And in addition to that, how can we stay wise to what is true in our own day? Because who, who defines it anymore? And so what Paul is, is going to be saying here in this chapter, and this is why I love the Bible because, you know, here it's, it's written almost 2,000 years ago, but it is still timeless truth. So the answer to these questions, you know, how do we anchor our souls to truth when society ignores it or redefines it, and how do we stay wise to what is truth today? The answer that he's going to tell us here is, is basically the Bible. What he's going to say to us is that the Bible is the foundation for all that is right and true. Therefore, we must build our lives upon the Word of God. And when, you know, when you find that, that something is confusing, the best thing to do is pull out the, the owner's manual, all right? If you've ever found that your car is acting up and it's confusing, you know, I mean, you know, there's, there's been some lights on my dashboard recently, and what, I just got out the owner's manual to find out, okay, what do these lights mean, all right? I, I, don't, I don't ask Somebody in just walking their dog in my neighborhood. Hey, what do you think these lights mean? And then everybody walking their dog has a different answer about what the light means. I'm going to go to the owner's manual and actually find out what the manufacturer says. That's the way I look at the Bible. He's the owner. He's the manufacturer. He's the creator. And when my world gets crazy and people say crazy things and do crazy things, and you're, you know, your head is spinning, and you're just wondering what is happening to our world, and who, and who even knows what is right and what is wrong, what is up and what is down, what is sweet and what is, what is sour. And you, the best thing to do is to consult the owner's manual. And so for us as Christians, this is where we go to, and we process our world through the lens of Scripture. Not to be in a judgmental sense, but we judge to evaluate and to bring clarity to the confusion by looking at life through the lens of the Bible. So, what Paul goes on to say here um, um, this is a long introduction to summarizing the first part of chapter three is like, hey, the world's gonna get crazy. There's 19 characteristics of what the world's gonna look like just before the return of Christ. Can be self-absorbed, lovers of money, lover of pleasure, not as much a lover of God. So what are we to do? Here's a pivotal verse for us, for us to see. It's chapter 3, verse 14. I know we left off at verse 10, but I just want to show you verse 14. Because Paul says here, but as for you. Right? That's an important statement because he's saying there to Timothy, but this is relative to all of us. So we live in a crazy world, a culture that's out of control. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Keep reading to the end of the chapter. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see what he emphasizes there? He's like, when your world is out of control and everybody is self-defining, which may not be reality, by the way, right? How people feel, how they self-define may have nothing to do with reality. I mean, I self-define as the third baseman on the Washington Nats, but it ain't going to happen, all right? So that's just not reality. But what what he's saying to us is, when you're living in this kind of a world, the foundation for your lives has got to be the Bible because it's God's truth that is going to be the anchor for your souls in a very stormy culture it's going to be the bible. Now what he does here is he's also he's going to add he's going to add here these these two points. He's going to talk about the credibility of the messenger because he's going to say let me let me tell you why I have a little some street cred on this subject. So Paul's going to talk about himself a little bit in verses 10 and 11. And then in verses 15 and 17, to 17, he's going to talk about the reliability of the message. So he's going to talk about the credibility of the messenger, meaning himself, and, and he's going to talk about the reliability of the message. So let's back up now and look at verse 10. And so in verse 10, he says, You, however, now he's just directing this to Timothy again, like you, however, despite the rest of the world, you, however, know all about my teaching My way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecution I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And then he adds, this is is not one of these verses you necessarily want to put up on your refrigerator, but verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there you go. But the first part here that he talks about is his own credibility, because he wants to make sure that Timothy knows he's not just saying these things in a vacuum, that Paul is living this out. And he says, if I have any street cred here, let me just remind you about my life, my persecution, my my patience, my endurance, my suffering. And then he even mentioned specifically what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now, you don't need to turn there, but he's, you can write in the margin of your Bible Acts 13 and 14, because in Acts 13 and 14, this is where he describes the events of Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. One of the important things to note that happened in Acts chapter 14 was how he was beaten and left for dead in Lystra. And, and the event that happens in Lystra is he goes to this, it's a pagan city, and he goes to Lystra, and there's, the Bible says in, in Acts 14 that, that there's, this, there's this man who's crippled in his feet, he was lame from birth, had never walked, and that this guy listened to Paul as he was preaching... And as he listened to Paul, as he was preaching, Paul looked directly at him. I'm reading out of Acts 14, verse uh, 9. And saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out. So Paul says to this guy, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So there's this miraculous healing that happens in Lystra. And this, this crippled guy in the street regains his strength and is physically healed by God. And Paul's just the vessel for it. And the people of Lystra start to ascribe deity to Paul and to his traveling companion, Barnabas. And because it's, you know, the, the Greco-Roman Empire at this time, th- they start to say that Barnabas must be Zeus and you, Paul, must be Hermes. You guys are, are gods because of what just happened here. Well, Barnabas and Paul, Acts 14, they, they start tearing their clothes, which is a Jewish sign of like mourning. And they're like, no, we're not gods. You know, don't, don't worship us. So the people of Lystra were so messed up, they go from one moment going, you guys must be gods, you're Zeus, you're Hermes. They're like, no, we're not. And they're like, well, in that case, then we're going to kill you. <laughs> I mean, they just do a total flip-flop on these guys. And so they drag them out. And all of a sudden, in chapter 14, Barnabas, I don't know if he escapes or runs, or something, but all of a sudden, the only one left in the story is Paul. And they take him outside of the, uh, into the streets, and they just start pelting him with stones. And they just leave him for dead. And it is believed that when Paul writes in Second Corinthians chapter 12 about a man that he knew who went to the third heaven, that he's probably writing in the third person because he doesn't want to boast about what he went through. But most Bible scholars are agreed that Paul's talking about his own near-death experience, where he may have even gone to be with the Lord for the moment, and he sees his vision of heaven, and then God revives him, and he, and he comes back to life. But that's what happened in Lystra. They thought that he was a god. When he says, I'm not, then they're like, well, then this is weird, so we, we better kill you, because nobody else can do that except a god. And if you're not a god, then you must be something that we should be scared of. So they tried to stone him. By the way, a similar thing happened in our own American history. In the late 1700s, Captain James Cook, who discovered the Hawaiian Islands, when he and his crew first got to the Hawaiian Islands, the Hawaiian people thought that he was their god called Lono, L-O-N-O. And Captain Cook didn't, didn't correct them. He said, oh, okay. And as a result, his whole crew was given like carte blanche all through the Hawaiian Islands. And you can read historically, venereal disease went through the roof among the people of the Hawaiian Islands because of the crew of Captain James Cook. But as a result of all of this sexual immorality that was going on, one of the Hawaiian indigenous people took issue with one of the crew in in Captain Cook's uh, vessel because he was messing around with one of the locals' wife. And so that guy started to, to beat him up and then they turned and started beating up Captain Cook. And when Captain Cook started bleeding, they said, no God bleeds. And when they realized he was not a god, they killed Captain Cook right on the spot. Anyway, just a little extra history with no extra charge. But uh, the moral of the story is, is if anybody attributes deity to you, quickly correct them. Quickly correct them. But Paul is left for, for near dead. As he writes back here in Second Timothy chapter 3, he's just trying to remind Timothy listen, everything I'm writing about, I've lived. So please accept a little credibility from the messenger here. My life's been on the line. I've had near-death experiences for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Lord whom I love. I have suffered royally for my faith. But that's okay. And then he adds there, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I think we've been in large part sheltered from persecution obviously in our society but all the more reason why we should be bold and unashamed about our faith because what's the worst that's going to happen i mean not here uh, places around the world where your life is in jeopardy but you know here my goodness you know why shouldn't we be more vocal about our faith bolder about our faith because we have it easy here we have it easy here now there might come a day when verse 12 has has more relevance than what we feel now uh, but, but clearly, Paul says, I've suffered. If you're going to really live for the gospel, you might have to experience some measure of suffering and persecution. And he adds in verse 13, I'm back here in the, in the text now, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that's what he adds then, verse 14, but as for you, continue what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, Okay, he's talking, no doubt, about himself. He's also, no doubt, talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother. He commends them earlier in in this letter. He says, you you know the ones that you've received it from, you've learned it from, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Now, this is interesting. Holy scriptures in the Greek is hiera grammata, and it really is a reference to Old Testament scriptures. Timothy was not raised on the New Testament. Okay, you know, we have the advantage of having New Testament. We have the completion of the New Testament portion of the canon of scripture but timothy only had and really if, if you're a jew in that day and you're growing up uh, in the faith or or even a gentile for that matter uh, you you only can be exposed to the jewish old testament scriptures that's the that's the holy scriptures the the hiera grammata, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus it's interesting you know it's not just the new testament that testifies of christ jesus the old testament does as well A couple of Sundays ago, we looked at Isaiah 53. The whole chapter has to do with the prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And all through the Bible, from Genesis to Malachi of the Old Testament, Christ is revealed in different ways through Scripture. And that's all they originally had to testify of Christ was the Old Testament Scriptures. You know, we have the the benefit of having old and new as a record of Christ. They only had the Old Testament and they're able to make you wise. Notice one of the benefits of the Bible. Able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul would also write in Romans ten seventeen: That we receive faith. Hearing come, uh, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So as God's word goes forth, as the Bible goes forth, it's not magical. It's just spiritual. It's God uses his word. It won't return void. And people come to faith in Christ because the Bible is faithfully Received and believed.
1: That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to Cornerstone Chapel this Sunday at 8:30, 10, or 11:45 a.m. for our weekly worship services. We get together to spend time praying and praising and diving deeper into the truth of Scripture, which, as we learn from 2 Timothy, is God-breathed. All of it, from the first word in Genesis to the last of Revelation, is meant to be read and studied and applied to the lives of all believers. We do this together each week, and we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more and get directions to Cornerstone Chapel by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc While you're there, you can explore our common resources located under the Teachings Lab. These booklets go along with Pastor Gary's teachings through the Bible and can provide a new perspective on passages you may have read countless times already. You can also download our mobile app or listen online to more Cornerstone Connection teachings. All of this, again, is available at cornerstoneconnection.cc that's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of 2 Timothy will continue when you join us next time, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know still you know You're not a